don't know what that is. What is quite? What is? What is quiet? What is qu quiet? Quiet. What is quiet yet interesting? Are you saying quit? I'm saying I quote. Uh. Interesting. Okay. In quotation. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Be Positive, <laughs> the podcast where we discuss B films from a blanket fort. And also have really, really strange introductory sequences. Yeah, I think at some point we might have to plan one of those. I don't know, man. I like I like keeping it loose. I like keeping it uh, jiggly. Sometimes you know? too loose. I like to see it bounce. <laughs> awesome. Well, my name's Fraser. <laughs> my name's Louis. And today we are doing Carnival of Souls. Wes Craven presents Carnival of Souls. Yeah, uh, important distinction to make that it's the 1998 film, and not the original Carnival Carnival of Souls. We should maybe take a look at the original one day. Apparently, it's very good, so I don't know if it's really our territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone out there wants us to to watch it, maybe if they let us know, maybe yeah. we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do a follow up. Apparently, the original was very good. It's rated 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Okay, that's not 85% bad. on Rotten Tomatoes. That's much better than the 98 one. Yeah, the 98 one getting, what, 20% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> you know, not the best score. Not, not great, but they, they really gave it a shot, you know, and that's what's important. They did try their best, and it is a frightening film. Disturbing and disjointed. Yeah. Let's go over the... A bit of a plot plot synopsis. Yeah, let's uh, let's give it a whirl. We start the film with Alex Grant as a little girl, witnesses her mother's assault and murder, and from there on is haunted by her mother's killer in a bar, pretty much. So Alex and Sandra, when we pick up the story twenty years later, they've taken over their mother's bar by the seaside. Um, the, the old mermaid the, inn. The old mermaid inn. I don't know why. They've got to, you know, make a comment on the mermaid's age. Or is the inn old? Uh, they both might be old. There's a there's a new mermaid inn. And just down the road. Right. And so they were like, we need to just make yeah. this clear that this is the old mermaid, mermaid inn. It's, yeah. And also, the patrons are almost exclusively old as well. That's true. So maybe it's... This all happens in a retirement village. Yeah. And throughout, Alex is haunted, as as you said, by her mother's killer, played very capably by Larry Miller, right? Yeah. Uh, Larry Miller, who's, you know, we usually see him in comedies, but he pulls off... Um, he does creepy pedophile really, quite well. Really well, yeah. I'd say. I was freaked out and very uncomfortable. Yeah. Every single scene he was in was he, very uncomfortable. He really like embodies a sort of sleaze that yeah. just makes you feel kind of oily all over. Yeah, he really makes you feel dirty just with his presence. Well, so good job. Good job to him. And he's also a clown. Oh, I thought which he was when you a know that carnival concierge. Is that is that the uh, correct title? Uh, I don't know. That's the one I'm I'm sticking to. <laughs> okay. Um which really tells you something when being a clown is the second most creepy thing about a person. Well, I mean, look, if you're going to be a pedophile and a clown, I'm going to say that the pedophilia is the creepier part of you. Yeah. Because you can get a clown who's normal. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. I haven't seen it done, but, you know. 
So that's, I mean, that's basically the plot. We don't get a lot of forward narrative progression. Yeah, this film um, is very broken up. It's very dreamlike. A lot of narrative jumping happens. Yeah. Some big um, jumps and later on in the film, some big reveals. Yeah, at, at points I found myself just like wondering, is this is this just another dream sequence? This must be just another dream sequence. And then it is. Yeah. But then I'm still surprised for some reason. Yeah, but the the film leaves you guessing constantly whether this is a dream sequence or reality. Yeah, because even the parts that are ostensibly real and perfectly normal without any of the surreal elements, in the end are revealed to be dreams as well. Yeah. I Well, you could say that the whole thing is a dream, the whole film. I mean, I think it is. Uh, by the end. We'll get into what I think the film is. Mm-hmm. Besides a portrait of a woman who is severely mentally ill and in severe need of some psychiatric assistance. But as we find out in the end, it's been too late the whole time. So I guess we could just go right ahead and say that she dies in a car accident. Right in the beginning. Yeah, she's um, surprised and ambushed by by Larry. Well, no, sorry, that's the actor's <laughs> By Not Larry. Uh, Louis. Lewis. Lewis. But spelt the same as my name. Yeah. Um, Which just goes to show that, you know, the Americans don't know how names work. Yeah. I, I mean, Louis C.K. had to change his show's name to Louis yeah. with an E so people would be able to pronounce it correctly. Yeah. I don't know if that's why he did it, but that's what I assume. Is he also a Lewis? Yeah. Wow. Good um, to know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> so right in the beginning of the film, when Alex Grant first confronts or witnesses her mother's murder mm-hmm. and right she's got a white dress on she's a young young girl and she picks up a gun can't bring herself to shoot who's it lewis and her mom's neck gets snapped in half quite easily so lewis is quite a quite a strong clown yeah or her mother had osteoporosis i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put a label on on why yeah, she let's died let's not do that but she is wearing a white dress she's a child in the scene it's very youthful the white color of the dress would then symbolize purity Mm -hmm. uh, innocence that sort of thing then her mom dies we cut to an older version of alex and she's wearing a black dress yeah uh, symbolizing that uh, she's been tainted by the world yeah absolutely her experiences irrevocably changes her and it it strips her of her youthful innocence yeah big time you can actually look at this film sort of as it's all her crucible it's her coming to terms with her failure to save her mother's life because she has the gun in her hand and she drops the gun f- through fear yeah and also i mean what ki- what kind of a kid is just going to be able to kill someone yeah i mean she doesn't have any firearm training she's not licensed yeah um her mother is being murdered yeah all factors i think affecting her judgment on whether or not to shoot yeah yeah i guess that's true but the whole film you can see it as punishment sort of for her failure there and she's also punishing herself um in the way that just in the way that she speaks about herself Mm. all the dialogue everything about her she's very negative about it at one point i thought maybe this is a a case of did dissociative identity disorder with lewis having killed her mom then being internalized as another personality of her 
trying to sabotage her life. Right. Though I don't know if that bears out. No, it uh, does not. My main uh, takeaway from the film is that it is it's Alex's journey of working through that trauma. Yeah. Zizek says something quite interesting about trauma where he says that the term post-traumatic stress disorder is actually a misnomer because the hallmark is that you are never post that trauma. Right? Yeah. It is an event that continually repeats itself in you because there's some there's there's a failure to integrate that event into your symbolic universe because it is just too meaningless and too violent to to properly comprehend. Yeah, it, it can't be rationalized. Exactly. So I feel a lot of the more out there dream sequences, like there's a long Alice in Wonderland sequence. There's a um, there are a couple of carnival sequences. The titular Carnival of Souls. Yeah. Although I felt you know there were maybe a little light on carnival elements. Yeah, it seemed like a cut like a low budget carnival, yeah. like just like someone put up a carousel and then someone made some candy floss and they were like, it's a carnival. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of those nightmares, a lot of those dream sequences are essentially that first traumatic event. Um, and also it's implied that Lewis molested her yes. as a child. So th- that those traumas are playing out in these fantasies as she's trying to make sense of them. Yeah. Come on down to Uncle Randy's. We got floor tiles. Ceiling tiles, surface-to-air missiles, we got paper, we got cheese, Uncle Randy's. Check in, you don't check out. It is interesting, though, that she has a lot of very strange sort of symptoms. Yeah. Um, definitely narcolepsy. She's big time into falling asleep. Yeah, um, she, um, she almost drowns in the tub. Uh, because and floods her bar. Yeah, she almost drowns in the in her bathroom sink because of her narcolepsy Which and I... ensuing night terrors. I would have thought that if you pass out in the basin, your body weight is just going to pull you down and out of the water. No, that's not. No, it's not what. No, you fall asleep right, and you fall forward into the basin, and then your whole body slips yes, in. Yes, the whole thing. That's strange, because when I'm awake, I can't do that. I can't fit my body in there. Power of dreams. The power of dreams. <laughs> and actually, t- talking about all these drowning sequences, water is incredibly important throughout this film, and oftentimes it seems to act as a sort of gateway between the real world, or ostensibly real world, and the nightmare zone. Yes. Sort of Lewis's realm. Yeah. So, for example, when she's almost drowning in the bathtub or when she's almost drowning in the basin or the car wash, when she's almost drowning... In the car wash of souls. That sequence was incredibly scary to me. That was. And those demons. You know what? Lewis is scary and all, but there are these demons, right? And they appear and they're sort of freaking out. They're not doing anything. They're licking a window with crazy tongue. And they're freaking out and like slapping their faces. Yeah, and they've got these hairless white bodies. Yeah, yeah. Real sexy guys. (laughs) But 
these guys, they are the real stars of this nightmare realm. Oh, yeah. They're sort of buttering up the victim so that Lewis really doesn't have to do that much to be able to intimidate and terrify yeah, you. absolutely. I think that's maybe where the film is at its most Wes Graveny. Yeah. Definitely his, I think, inspiration in, in those creatures. Yeah, I mean, this film didn't do very well, but you can always expect a decent horror movie from Wes Craven with interesting takes and interesting angles. I know he didn't direct the film. But he clearly, like, personally selected... He put his name on it. He liked it so much, he put his name on it. Yeah, yeah. He was the executive producer of the film. Yeah. So that's that's quite nice. You know, he... Also did another film that I appreciated called Clown, uh, which is also a very good yeah. film. So he maybe has a little bit of a clown thing. Who knows? Weird guy, you know? Love to meet him. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's dead, though. He can't be dead. No one ever dies. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. So there are a couple of times where I found that I could find new titles for this film. Oh yeah, we haven't done we haven't done those in a while. Yeah, so it's Carnival of Souls, so because you see a carnival from time to time. It could also be Car Wash of Souls. I like that. The scene in the car wash is very strange, very intense. So I feel that could be a contender for taking the title. Yeah, and I think there might be as much car wash in the film as there is carnival. Yeah, it's highly likely. Uh you could also say car crash of souls. That's also good. Which would actually be more apt because it's the only real sort of event that happens throughout the whole film. Yeah, which is where she actually drowns. Yeah. Um, she's got Lewis in the back of the car. He's holding a gun to her head and she decides to just floor it and take both of them out by driving into the marina. Yeah. Without seatbelts. Remember, this was the 90s when safety did not exist. <laughs> she's oftentimes transported to this carnival, though, uh, or to this dreamscape itself through the use of Freudian imagery mm-hmm. like her wandering down a tunnel you know especially with the car wash where she's entering the car wash and she's going through this birthing process essentially going into oh yeah yeah going I through think, those uh, wipers you know the the car wash we seem to be coming back to that scene but i feel it is one that is representative of a, a lot of the elements in the film you know we've got uh, the water as a sort of symbolic thing. We've got her drowning, we've got the demons, we've got that um, theme of, of moving into this new realm, as you said, through that tunnel. And we've even got something which the, the, the film has a lot of, um, a creepy male. Yeah, sort of a leering, ill-intentioned male. Yeah, I think all of the men in this film with the exception of Cleveland Derricks as Sid, mm-hmm. I think are all sexual criminals. Yeah, uh, they <laughs> are all, all like, deviants. Yeah, they're all really creepy, and they all want a piece of Alex and or Sandra. Yeah. Um, also, then you get to know the character of Michael. Who the hell is that guy? I was wondering that myself throughout the whole film, because he kind of shows up as a love interest Sort of. For Alex, sort of, yeah. Yeah, in a very uh, damaged kind of way. Yeah, and he's also not, like, not creepy. Yeah, he's very creepy. He's very alien, in in a sense. Yeah. And at one point I thought, because there's a scene on a boat, and she doesn't Mm. want to go on the boat. 
Right, and that could be a reference to the River Styx. Oh, I see. That was your thing. I wrote no, but it's awesome. We got the okay. same thing. No, I didn't actually write it down. I was just thinking about that now. That's exactly. I'm glad because that means I'm not insane. But it yeah. does seem in that scene like he's kind of ferrying her to the other side. Yeah, he, well, he is taking her to the carnival. Yeah. Well, sort of. In a dream? We don't really know. I <sighs> I got the the weird feeling that maybe this was the Archangel Michael supposed to supposed to be because that name uh, that is prominent. Be. I don't Although think... he doesn't like help her or anything. No, he turns into Lewis. Oh, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> they sort of they aggressively oh. so Michael and Alex you aggressively You just gave me my own traumatic flashback. Oh I'm sorry, I I screwed you over. I'm in uh, a dream world now. <laughs> just avoid avoid the water. So Michael and Alex on the boat. Alex jumps. My, how does that happen? They hook up, right? They're, he's been trying to, like, getting it in her pants the whole form long. Sort of. In a very awkward way, yeah. though. And then they go on the trip over the marina to the carnival. And, then and that just, just tips them over the edge. The, the palpable yeah. sexual tension just spills over. Uh-huh. They then quite aggressively start having sex. And... Halfway through, well, I guess it's close to the end because that's sort of what ends it. Michael turns into Lewis. Oh, and that's so nasty. It's very gross, and he's like grunting, and it's very uncomfortable. And his skin is like coming off in these loose oh, yeah. patches. That was so nasty. Where's yeah. Craven, you madman? <laughs> that was a gross scene. And I know I'm not giving any credit to Adam Grossman and Ian Kesner as the directors, Adam but. Grossman. Hilarious. Aptly named. They did do a very good job of this. Of this film. I'm quite proud of them. <laughs> Movies don't really gross me out that much. But this this movie... Sure. Yeah, there were... Um, there were a few moments that were... Really terrifying. I also find found that there was a bit of an argument there for... Parental negligence. When it comes to things like... Uh, molestation and stuff in the 70s yeah because her mother is oblivious yeah she just like don't don't leave your 12 year old with a with a clown i mean they're painting their faces it's already very weird and awkward don't and then she's thrilled by this she's like oh you're doing your makeup you're becoming a clown i'm so proud of my 12 year old daughter becoming a clown yeah Ugh. And now I'm going to leave you alone in this bedroom with this half-dressed clown. See I'm you sure, later, honey. I'm sure nothing will happen. We've only been dating for like a week. Uh, ten seconds. I found a little bit of evidence to uh, support my DID theory, though. Mm-hmm. Where in that very same scene where she gets a bit of plaster on her face and then uh, trips out and goes back to that traumatic memory yeah with lewis with the face painting she was painting her face so she's visually halfway to becoming lewis already she's putting on his makeup putting on his face yeah which could be where well it's definitely one of the very first moments where lewis was demonized and given this immense power in her psyche yeah i'm assuming that scene would be then the start of the abuse or just a scene of i think that's he says, are you going to do my makeup? And then she says, 
but your face is already done. And then he says, not my face. Yeah, and then it so fades I to black. I just do not actually want to know. Yeah, I'm, act- I'm, very, I'm very glad that we don't get to see that. Yeah, thank God for uh, taste. Happening. Yeah, yeah, thank God for taste. This episode brought to you by China. China! It's China. Clearly, Lewis is sort of the um, the creeper in chief among all the male characters. Yeah. And he has some very, very clear issues with his masculinity, his impotence and his pedophilia all, all lead him to become violent, really violent, you know, violent and and psychotically detached. Yes. Um, but again, he's just kind of the exaggerated version of almost every male in the film. Yeah. Yeah, he um, is now, he's the villain, so he has to be worse, so that you can clearly tell that the other males are not villains. Of course. Uh, even though they sort of are. Yeah. Oh, and I, fi- I found it quite interesting that in a killer clown movie, that when he actually kills Alex's mom, he he's not in his clown costume. Yeah, it's he's, just Lewis killing killing the mom, not yeah. the clown. You know, so in a sense, this very real threat is much more scary than than the kind of fantastical threat posed by the the clown. Yeah, you know, just this awful sleazy traveling circus guy turns out to be more scary than than the clown. Yeah. And maybe that's commentary on the fact that there is a fear of clowns. Mm. Because uh what's it called cholerophobia, I think, is the fear of clowns. Yeah, something like that. So, a lot of people have this fear of clowns and clowns really not it's not that scary. It's a ancient tradition sort of thing. People have been clowns for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's entertainment and it's it's ritual and it has a rich history. It does, and there's a lot more to clowns than uh, what we see in the film, which is mainly just clowns shuffling around a very uh, terrible carnival. Mm-hmm. We we know this because one of our very close friends is a clown. Yeah, someone um, who was on a recent episode. You guys might remember Daniel Buckland, of course. Shout out to DB. Pra, pra. <laughs> so there were other a, a couple of other pieces of imagery and symbolism that kept popping up most i think noticeably the red balloon yes but just the color red itself becomes a force mm. or a character almost yeah absolutely does the balloon appear before sequences that are carnival-esque or the that just kind of signifies danger in some sense or i think the balloon just signifies or it's sort of the herald of lewis's approach yeah yeah it's not in it's it's not referencing a specific place it's reference, referencing her childhood and when she first met lewis where he tried to give a little a balloon to her little sister and she's like no she doesn't like balloons you freaking pedophile and then her mother's like we should go on a date yeah yeah the her daughter is clearly uncomfortable and grossed out by this man and she's like this seems like uh, marriage material i need to get this balding aging <laughs> literal clown yeah into my life right now 
and not even like a, a performance clown, just someone who has adopted the clown makeup to shuffle around. Yeah, and like just hands out balloons. And gets real creepy with children. That's why Larry Miller can act, Holy but I don't shit. think he can clown. No, probably not. Clowning is a skill unto itself. Yeah. And another thing that seems to come up is a a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Yes, um, very much. Although it it's mentioned very slightly in the beginning when he says when Lewis says to her Also He says, Oh, it's gonna be the maddest tea party ever. But you're not gonna be there for it. Yeah. And then at the end in one of the sequences, she um becomes the the miniaturized Alice. Yeah. But I don't I wonder like that theme isn't really pulled through for me. I mean who wrote Alice in Wonderland? T. S. Lewis? No, it was not T. S. Lewis. No. Uh, Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll. C.S. Lewis is the... The Narnia guy. The Narnia guy. I'm sorry, Lewis Carroll. Mr. Christian. Lewis, oh. Lewis uh, Carroll. And Lewis Carroll was also actually... Was he just suspected of being a pedophile? Or was he a literal, actual pedo man? No, isn't that James Barry? The guy who wrote uh, Peter Pan? No, he was like an asexual kind of imp. Well, that's uh, something to be, you know, as long as, long as you're something, right? Imps are things. Um, yeah, but Lewis Carroll, I do know I read a story somewhere, and this is insubstantiated at the moment, but I do know that I've heard that he yeah. wrote Alice in Wonderland to sort of woo a little girl called Alice. That makes the references make more sense. Yeah. Although I'm not, I'm not sure it's kind of brought to fruition maybe more of an easter egg thing yeah it's there for uh you know the obsessive pop culture nerd yeah like myself but i mean there's no culture more pop than the 19th century novel alice in wonderland that's true that's that's uh, that's what we do we stay on the cutting edge so i think you know whether or not that's true that's definitely what the film is referring to yeah it is sort of you know, if you're paying attention for that sort of thing, for little Easter eggs, it is referencing actual Lewis Carroll, I believe. And, I mean, just the fact that there is a clearly Alice in Wonderland scene. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that a major theme of this is Lewis Carroll's alleged uh, pedophilia. Or repressed. Alleged repressed pedophilia. Yes. Get that right and correct. We need to get it nice and clear. Yeah, yeah. get it nice and accurate. But, uh, we haven't really talked about sort of the the film craft going into this film. What I found quite interesting was their choice to to light it like a, a soap opera. It's a very kind of soft light and it's kind of flat. You know, I don't think that's because it's a bad movie. I think it's because they're kind of using that aesthetic. To show that this is not um, the real world, that this is in some nightmare zone. And a lot of the dialogue also sounds kind of soapy to me. Yeah, but if you think about it in context, it's all happening in Alex's subconscious Mm -hmm. while she's drowning in the car. I mean, you could argue that the weird dialogue and the weird, like... I mean, because... A lot of the characters don't really all say what they mean to say. Yeah. You know, they sort of say something and there's an implied 
emotion or desire behind that and then everyone understands you know the the characters aren't clear enough to really express themselves but because it's all really they're all just manifestations of her subconscious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she doesn't need that context she doesn't need to explain to herself to be able to form this narrative i kind of lost Uh, you there but i I feel that's appropriate for yeah. this episode. Yeah. I'm We've just going to let it trail our off. Own, own surrealistic, incoherent dream world. Blanket fort of souls. <laughs> we are sitting in a blanket fort. Yeah, that's, for those of that's you true. who can't see through audio. Uh, yeah, I mean, who can't see through audio? I can. <laughs> uh, so the reason why we're in a blanket fort is because we are recording in my small little interim cottage before... I make a temporary move to China. Yeah, it's um, it's exciting to to have the podcast go international. We're already kind of international with yeah. our one listener. That's true. Shout out to Robert. Once, <laughs> once again, big ups. <laughs> uh, I was I was talking to Anand about it last night, and he suggested that we try and get uh, the Chinese government to invest in Be Positive. Oh yeah, to become a Chinese state-owned business, essentially. I think it'll just boost our productivity levels. We could get like forty Chinese migrant workers just podcasting every day, nonstop. Mm. Let's take podcasting to an industrial level. I feel like we're go we're heading into a little bit of a post-industrial society, so really? that may be a step backward. Mm. Okay, okay, but think about it. I'll keep it in mind if I meet any Chinese migrant workers while I'm there. No, you'll have to talk to to the government officials. I'll have to make my own migrant workers. You'll have to be a migrant worker. I will actually literally be a migrant migrant worker. That's actually exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, score some cool new equipment and some dollars behind the dream. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be tremendous. Hi, this is Big Al. I just wanted to take a moment to warn you about my Uncle Randy. He's decided to start a competing business to mine. He's running it out of his warehouse down in Sacramento. Now, I don't, uh, I don't usually like to smear my family with, uh, poopy doo-doo, but I feel it's important to warn y'all that Uncle Randy, well, he's a clown. He's a clown pedophile. Come on down to Big Al's. I think I've I've said most of what I had to say about Carnival of Souls. Do you have uh, Do you have anything else? Just one more thing. Mm-hmm. One last little thing that I, I picked up on. Hit. At the end of the film, we discover big shock. It's all been a car crash. One single car crash. The whole film, except for the sort I of guess flashbacks. The very beginning. Yeah. So. In that car crash, Alex dies, her psychosis dies with her, and Lewis, the insanely psychotic pedophile, clown, weird guy, also perishes. Yeah. Thank the old gods. Sandra picks up the phone, and through the receiver she hears carnival music. Oh, oh God, I forgot about that. Suggesting that this family has a genetic predisposition to psychosis. Maybe... Because that also, it makes you question whether the explanation they give you is real or not. 
because she wasn't part of this, but now it's Although, transferred to her. She was because I kind target. of wondered about that through the film. Is that you know Alex is super messed up by this whole thing, but Sandra seems kind of chill. Like it's also yeah. her mother that died, although she didn't witness it. Yeah, and she wasn't in her mind directly responsible for it. But maybe that's also just Alex's idea of Sandra as the one who oh, yes. doesn't care that much about mom. Yeah, sort of a free spirit, and and also Alex would try and keep her sister that way. Yeah, um, just for the simple fact that she knows what it's like to be scarred by these things, and she doesn't want that for her sister. Her sister, though, right from the beginning, very uncomfortable with Lewis. Yeah. Always like sticking real close to her mom, so she she's... may have been spared some of the or all of the abuse. Alex may have made herself into a buffer zone for the abuse. Yeah. Man, that's... Uh, this is why you don't get many films uh, about pedophiles and that sort of thing. Man, it's a very uncomfortable yeah. place to go to. It gets awkward. Yeah, and it's difficult to talk about as well, but I feel like we did a pretty good job talking about uh, this movie. Sorry, you were just uh, f- finishing up there. I think I was actually done there, to be honest. I don't think I was making a point. So I, was, I think I was done with my points. Okay. So now okay. we can make another point. Maybe like tonight you'll drown and then you'll flash back and then you'll remember. Is there any other way to remember things? <laughs> I don't think so. Before an exam? Just drown. do a little drown. Yeah, just, just do a drown little drown. Yeah. You just tell the teacher, hey, hey, teach, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm quick drown myself. In the basin? In the basin. Um, I, might, I also may have narcolepsy. And also... If an older man with makeup follows me into the bathroom, please call the police. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's implied through existence that you don't want an uh, older man carrying a little bag of makeup, mm-hmm. half-dressed, no. oh. follow you into your bedroom, Ugh. bathroom, kitchenette. Anywhere, really. Or in your car. Yeah, yeah. Don't follow into any sort of enclosed space. Maybe just walking behind you in the mall. That's fine. That's not a problem. Yeah, so I think lesser critics might call this film bad, an incoherent fucking mess. <laughs> but we're not lesser critics. No, we are greater critics. Um, and I would say that the the incoherence of the film and its lack of real plot is is exactly the point. It's on yeah. a formal level expressing what Alex is going through. Which is a very confusing, very emotionally intense experience. Yeah. So I'm going to give this film three out of six balloons. I actually met someone who is afraid of balloons, believe it or not. I also know someone who's afraid of balloons. Maybe a bit more of a common fear than we originally thought. I would give this film, if I were rating it out of six, are these balloons filled with helium? They are helium. They are also filled with Larry Miller's soul. I really enjoyed this movie, even though it would made me very uncomfortable. It does make you question some things, mm-hmm. especially reality, because it jumps around all the time. Yeah. You, just as soon as you think, okay, cool, I know where we're going, it jumps again. Yes. So I would give this film four out of six balloons, each filled with who's soul? Larry Miller. Larry Miller's soul. His face. Talking to us. Talking to us from inside of a balloon. Man, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I had a lot of fun recording in the blanket fort of souls. 
Yeah, this is a, a really nice little studio setup. You guys at home, you can probably hear it sounds pretty smooth. Pretty cozy. Well, that, that was it for me. That's it for me. I guess we'll be back potentially in two weeks' time. We don't know yet. I'll just edit that bit out. No, I mean, it's fine. We'll we'll post to Facebook. We'll keep... Uh, We'll keep we'll keep in of, touch. All of you in touch. Yeah, all yeah. of our dedicated listeners. Thanks for listening. Please find us on both iTunes and Stitcher. Rate, subscribe, uh, recommend like, it to your share. grandma. Like, share, heart it. Put it on loop. Just and constant then, loop. Like, even on mute. Just let it play. Give us those sweet, sweet listens. Yeah, yeah. Just just keep on keep on making them clicks. You make us real happy. And then I guess, last but not least, you stay scary. Take off your skin and dance in your bones. That is quite, that is quite spooky. (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Music for today's episode comes from Tiger Don't Cry. You can find more at www.soundcloud.com slash tiger-don't-cry. That's my music, man. Those are my jams.